Our scripture passage today is going to come from the first letter of Peter. It's chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And before we begin our, our reading and study of the scripture passage, let us uh, pause for a moment in prayer. Good and heavenly Father, Lord, the giver of all our good gifts, and the giver of this, your holy word of scripture. Father, as we come today to, to hear this word and to read this word, Father, we know we cannot understand it unless the same spirit that inspired what was written here would inspire us today. And so, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to dwell with us, to be in our hearts and minds, that as we hear, that we read, that we may understand and know your good will for our life. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so if you've kind of looked down here, you've uh, noticed that the scripture passage begins with, wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, as you might guess, this, this verse is not the most popular with the ladies. All right, wives, be subject to your husbands. And it's not that it was just not popular. Now, I got a feeling it never was really a popular verse with a lot of the wives, especially considering maybe who their husbands might be. And I got to tell you, I've heard this, this scripture passage preached on a good bit. And I've heard it preached by two very different kinds of churches. Um, you go to some, some churches that they interpret the Bible more in a conservative, literal way. And, and they will preach it in one type of way. And, and I've seen it being preached in churches that are a little more liberal or figurative um, with their scriptural interpretations. And I've heard it preached a completely different way. Um, usually if you're going into a more conservative church or denomination, what you'll hear when they preach this passage is justifying or trying to explain why Peter believed that wives should submit to their husbands. And it's presented as a family code or a life code for, for the family about how the, uh, the power structures of a family to be arranged. Now, on the other side, if you go to a more liberal church, I guess more liberal in interpreting the Bible, rather, um, you get a different story of what Peter meant here or, or what we should do with this passage in our life. Usually, for, for some of those churches, they have a more critical text analysis, is what they call it, heavily exegetical focused. And what they'll tell you is that Peter, he lived in the patriarchy, and Peter was was, you know, he was, he was a male in the male patriarchy and he was kind of supporting the system and he didn't want to rock the boat. And so he was just promoting the way of life that the people were living around him. And well, we don't live this life anymore, so you can just ignore this passage. And those are usually the two extremes that people go to when they end up preaching on this passage. Now, when I read this, I say to all fairness of Peter, Okay, in all fairness of Peter, I don't think that he's making a family code here. I don't think that is what, when I'm looking at the, the whole work of this letter in 1 Peter, it looks like he's at something different than, than trying to set up a family code. But at the same time, in all fairness to Scripture, this is Scripture. And this is, is the Word of God, and we have to take it and receive it as the Word of God. But I think what Peter is doing here, and, and the point that Peter is making in this passage is, is a bigger point. 
And if we look at just some of the words that are written here, it's so, it'll be very easy for us to lose focus on what Peter is trying to teach us here. And what the apostle is telling us here is that in our lives, that we should live to make a spiritual impact on ourselves and the life of others. I think the, the point that Peter's making through this whole letter is that our life, your life, no matter who it is, no matter what your circumstances or your situation is, your life is a submission to Christ. Whoever you are, your life is a submission to Christ, and everything that we do is for His sake and for the sake of His glory. And the lives that we live, we live to make a spiritual impact on ourselves and the lives of others. And that means the great work that we do, all the work that we do, is not for political change. It's not for social change. What we're working for is spiritual change. So with that in mind, let's, let's start. Let's look here what, first Peter, what it says in 1 Peter. It's chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I've got the, um, we, there, there are the, the verse notations are written down um, in the bulletins for you, so it's easy to follow along. But verse 1, he starts out, Likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So the passage starts out with this word likewise. And I want to, this is an important word, likewise. It says, likewise, wives, submit to your husbands. And he, and he says the word likewise because he's referring back what likewise means referring back to the passage that came just before, the passage that we talked about last week. And in that passage, he was telling everybody to submit to the governments in charge, the good government and the bad government. He was telling servants and slaves to submit to the, to the authority of your masters, whether they're good or they're bad. So we, we're doing that, and we talked about that last week because it means what Peter was telling us is our circumstances in life, whatever they are, is following the model and the obedience of Christ. He used his circumstances in order to glorify God and fulfill God's plan in his life. And you likewise use your circumstances, whatever they are, in order to glorify God and live out your life of faith. So this likewise, says likewise is referring right back to there. Is again reminding you, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, use those to glorify God and live out your life of faith. And that's why he says, likewise, wives, submit to your husbands. But he also gives a clear reason. If you notice right in there, there is a so that. He asks wives to submit to their husbands so that. So that even if some who do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And he's giving you this reason. Where is it this so that your husband could be one to Christ. Now, in the very early church, uh, women were outnumbering men quite heavily in the early church. Women were some of the very early converts and the biggest number of early converts in the early church. And you had a lot of women that were Christians who were married to husbands who were not Christians. So what Peter's saying, we're doing this so that your husband who does not obey the word would instead of being pushed away from Christ by your behavior, would now be drawn to Christ for your behavior. He's telling you there's a great spiritual purpose that can be accomplished within your marriage. 
And this spiritual purpose that could be accomplished in your marriage is more important than any social or political purpose that you could use your marriage or your situation or your faith for. And there was also something bigger at stake. As Peter was concerned about the way that our faith, the way the Christian faith, was now going to be perceived by the public in general. For a moment, I do want, to put your, want you to put yourself in, in Peter's shoes and in the world that he was living in. All right, Peter's writing this letter sometime in the first half of the first century A.D. So we're talking about like 50 to 70 A.D. somewhere, 2,000 years ago. Right, and, he, and he's living in the Roman world. Roman law is the law of the land. And in this Roman world, you have a very strict class system. And at the top, you had the patricians. And below them were the, the common people, the plebeians. And then under them were servants and slaves. And it was a very strict class system. And women, sometimes even below the slaves there. Women were very much second-class citizens in the Roman world. They had no rights. As, as we refer to them or as we think of them. They had no liberties as we know or think of them. They had no right to vote. They had no voice in the government. They couldn't own property. They couldn't inherit property. I want you to remember the inherit property. That's going to come into play later on. And in fact, the second-class citizenship was so great, women didn't even actually get their own unique names. Uh, Roman women were just named after their family. And what I mean by that, if you were a member of the Julian family, your name was Julia. And all your sisters were named Julia. Every other woman in your family was named Julia. If you're a part of the Claudian family, your name was Claudia. And all your sisters were named Claudia. All your aunts were named Claudia as well. It was very, very confusing for historians now to figure out what Claudia, what Julia they're talking about. If we follow the same rules, my daughter would be named Celia. And every girl in my family would be named Celia. My wife, she was a Jones, right? She would have been Liz. She would have been Joni. And every other woman in her family would be called Joni as well. And that's the, that's the world here that, that Peter is talking about. And that's the world he's writing in. And that's not to justify anything, but just to give you the perspective of what world Peter is talking to and communicating to. So here in this world, we have these Roman women, very much second-class citizens. Here comes this faith. This new faith now that is starting to attract all the people in the Roman world that are being forgotten, that are being misused, that are being treated poorly. And it's attracting all these different classes of people. It's attracting rich, but also the poor. It's attracting the powerful as well as attracting the slaves and the servants, the dispossessed, people on the fringes of society. And it's also attracting a great number of women to the faith. And here in this faith, they're finding this subversive message. And it is a very subversive message. Because the message that the Christian gospel preaches is that everybody matters. Everybody has equal value. Everybody is equally loved by God. It doesn't matter where you were born or what your blood is or how much money or how much power that you have. God loves you the same. And it's not your external circumstances or your external power that matter as much as the spiritual person that you are within. And that nobility doesn't come from blood or doesn't come from birth. It comes from character. And anybody can be noble. Anybody can be holy. And everyone is loved by God. 
And the temptation now, as the temptation was then, is to take this message and then use it for political and spiritual changes. I'm sorry, political and social changes. Is that we're going to take this message of freedom and we're going to fight the power with it. Because we have God on our side. And the temptation is to use this message to just upend the whole political and social structure of the world. And, Pete, and Peter here is pulling everyone back in this. It happened with what we read last week about obeying the government, about obeying your bosses and your masters, and now while well, submitting to your husbands. See, what Peter didn't want to happen is for a wife to become a Christian and then come up to her husband and say, you know what, you've got no power over me now. I'm free to do whatever I want. And I'm going to do whatever I want. And then have the husband say, well, no, in fact, you're not. Because he had the political authority at that time to do just that and to forbid her from practicing this new religion. And even worse, to get together with all the other husbands and say, what is this religion of anarchy that our wives have taken up? What is this religion of rebellion and subversiveness that all of our wives have taken up? They're going to upend our whole society. They're going to change everything. We're going to lose our government. We're going to lose our power. We're going to lose our society. They're even dissolving marriage itself. What is the world coming to? It's so easy for us to get embroiled in these political and social fights. that We lose sight of the bigger battle. We lose sight that we are in a spiritual battle for the heart and the soul of humanity. And churches still do it today. You see, churches getting so wrapped up in political causes, either on the right or the left. They get wrapped up in these political causes and they lose sight of the spiritual battle. Or they get so wrapped up in, in social causes, no matter how good they might be, that they lose sight of the spiritual battle. And the spiritual battle that we're fighting for the heart and soul for humanity. But Peter urges us instead, live for the spiritual impact that you have on your life, everywhere, in your work, in your homes, and in your social interactions. And he continues to reinforce this message. Look at verse 3. And he's addressing the wives now. He says, do not let your adorning or your, your beauty be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So he has his message, do not let your adorning be the external adorning. Don't let your beauty be external, like, like the braiding of hair or the putting on of clothes. Now there's a lot that's being said these days, and we hear it a lot in the media, about unfair standards of beauty that are forced upon women. These unfair standards of beauty that are enforced upon women. And sometimes people look at it as if this is some modern problem. But clearly what we see in Peter, that this is not anything modern. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. So at least there were these standards of beauty being forced upon women for, well, at least a good 2,000 years. And, and what this standard of beauty does is it tends to judge women by how attractive they are. That's how women 
are judged. I mean, I'm not saying it's good, but that's how what our society does is judges women and eventually values them by how attractive they are. And so that's where this pressure is to come to conform to standards of beauty. And there's a whole industry that makes a whole lot of money off of this. And the promise to make women more attractive if you buy this product, if you put this in your hair and you wear these clothes, you have this kind of makeup, then you will be attractive and therefore more valuable in our society. Now, just in case you're going to blame the patriarchy for this, I want to tell you it's not the patriarchy that did this. All right? it's, not, it's, not a, it's, it's not a bunch of men that got together and put together these unfair standards just for women because there is also an unfair standard by which men are judged. And that standard is how much money we make. And that equals our value in our society. And I'm not here to complain about that or say that men are just as bad off as women. Or That's not the fight I'm getting into. Just remind you, the root cause of our problem is not the patriarchy. The root cause of our problem is we look at the outside. As we look at the externals. And that's how we judge value. Look at the externals of a woman and look and see how beautiful or attractive she is. And then make a decision on how valuable she is to us and our culture. We look at the externals of a man and his life, what kind of job he has, how much money he makes, what kind of clothes he wears, how well he can support his family as compared to others, and that's where he, we judge his value. The beauty here is Peter's reminding us where real beauty lies. It lies within. It lies inside of us. The beauty of the soul. It's not how you appear on the outside that should, not how attractive you are that makes you valuable or good or even beautiful. What makes your beauty is your virtue, your godliness. That's where your value is. See, it's a spiritual goal we're working for, not this physical goal. We want our value to be internal value. We want it to be spiritual value. And that's, again, I don't think Paul's making, Peter rather is making a household code. Some people read this and like, oh, women are forbidden from wearing makeup. Women are forbidden from doing their hair, wearing nice clothes. That's not what Peter's talking about. Everybody wants to look nice and they feel like they want to look nice. What Peter's saying is don't spin your wheels and all your effort on this because that's not where your value lies. The bulk of your effort, the majority of your effort should be on the person of the soul. The internal self, the eternal self. Focus on the spiritual impact we're making in our lives. Not the worldly, not the political or the social one. And it gives a similar advice to men. Picking up at verse 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, a lot of people have, depending on the church you go to, made a big deal about this phrase of Peter's, women as the weaker vessel, and what that means. He doesn't mean that women are weaker spiritually or weaker mentally. He says the vessel, weaker vessel. And also the New Testament, we hear the word vessel, what they mean are bodies. It's just that, your physical bodies. Peter here is just acknowledging the difference between men and women physically. Men are born usually bigger, broader shoulders, denser bones, denser muscle structures. Saying their vessels are the stronger vessels, so we must show honor to them. And when he, 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 here is it's the easy way to get caught up in the political and the social. 
I hear this phrase, men as the stronger vessel show honor to the women as the weaker vessel. I'm like, so we do things to show honor to them like, you know, I don't know, have women's sports where men aren't allowed to participate. And it does dishonor to them having men swimming against women where they are the stronger vessel. But see, I tell myself, no, see, I'm getting caught up in the political and the social. That's not where Paul want, Peter wants to take us here. I can't get wrapped up in that because it's the spiritual change that we're trying to impact, not so much the political or the, or the, or the social. And Peter gives us the spiritual reason why husbands show honor to their wives. He gives them a so that. So that your prayers won't be hindered. So that your prayers will not be hindered. How you treat your wife has a spiritual impact on your life. In fact, it has so great an impact, it could hinder your prayers. Now that's a sobering thought, guys. Seriously, think about that. You worried all about your prayers going up to heaven, being heard by God, and making it all the way up, up there to the Lord, and, and maybe being heard with the noise of all the other prayers out there. And there's a way that you could actually hinder your prayer so it doesn't make it all the way up there, not heard by God, and that's the way you hinder your prayer, not showing honor to your wife. If you worry maybe our prayers aren't being heard, maybe, maybe it's because of how you treat your wife. Again, his concern is the concern with the spiritual impact. And everything that we do, we are to live for that. The spiritual impact we have on our lives and the spiritual impact our actions have on the lives of others. So, so last week, I told you that the elections that we're about to have coming up Tuesday, as heated as they are, are not as important as you think. The circumstances of our life are not as important as we think they are. And some of you might disagree. And I want to take this opportunity to double down on what I said last week. That the elections are not as important as we think, we are, as we think that they tend to be. And the reason being is this. The way we look at politics, we get into this mindset that politics eventually affects our culture. That we elect these leaders, the leaders make laws and policies and changes, and they kind of trickle down, and they change society, and then they kind of change human interaction and human dynamics. And it's this top-down mentality. Politics change, society, society ends up changing people and personal dynamic. But in truth, that's not the way it is. The reality is it's more of a bottom-up change. Okay, politicians don't dictate our values. Our politicians reflect our values. The people that we vote and put in office reflect the values that we already hold dear. See, it's the spiritual life of the individual people that shapes society. And it's society that ends up shaping our politics. And I guess another way of putting it is politicians are the last ones to find out. Politicians are the very last ones to eventually get the memo. And because of that, elections are some of the least important ways that we can change our world. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is against the principalities, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. 
What he meant by that is our fight isn't against people. Our fight is not against institutions. Our fight is not the fight to change society and politics. And those can be good goals. They can be noble goals, but that's not the church goal. Our goal is to bring about spiritual change. Our goal is to change human nature. The reason being is we're exiles. This is not our home. This is not our final resting place. This is not where we are destined to be. We are people who are waiting for Christ to return and to bring about all those changes that we know need to happen. We can make things good in the meantime. Sometimes we even have a chance to make things great. But that's not our goal. Our goal is not the social and political change. Ours is spiritual change. And the great irony is, everywhere Christ is proclaimed, everywhere that Christ becomes the Savior of a community and nation, it ends up changing the politics. It ends up changing the society as well. And the way they do it is they change the spirit of people. It's so easy to lose sight of this. I mean, it's so easy to get, to get wrapped up in the world and so easy to, to lose focus and just to worry about who is in office and what laws are being passed and who, who has all the money and who has all the influence and who are the real power players in our culture. And we get so wrapped up in it, we, we can't see where real change comes from. Just like you can get fooled by how a person looks, what their hair and their makeup and their clothes look like. And you can't see real beauty when it's standing right in front of you. And ladies, I don't want you to hate on Peter, okay? Don't hate on Peter. Get, get angry at him. In fact, there is a radical feminist message here in this passage. I don't know if you noticed it. But it's a radical feminist message. Now, you might remember earlier I said that Roman women at that time were not allowed to inherit property. That was one of the things of being women in Roman society. We may have noticed in verse 7, he says, One reason we show honor to, to women as, as, as the weaker vessel, it says, Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Peter's mentioned women are heirs with men in the grace of life. And it doesn't sound that radical to us because we've been living in well, Christian societies for a long time and even longer than that societies where women could inherit property. But this to them was a radical suggestion. Not only could women inherit property, but they were inheriting it with an equal status with men. It wasn't property they were inheriting. It was something much more valuable. They were the heirs of the grace of life. This is our inheritance. The grace of life. The gift of eternal life. It's a life that you are building today. Not with hands, not with money, not with stone, not with wood, not with laws, or not with politics. You're building that eternal life with a spiritual impact that you make on your life and the lives of others around you. So anyone there who still has their, their passports, and you've remembered to bring your passports, or the note you make today, the lesson Peter is teaching us today is to live to make a positive spiritual impact. Live to make 
a positive spiritual impact. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your situation is, live to make a positive impact on your own life and the lives of the people around you. For your inheritance is not the wealth of flesh and blood. Your inheritance is not the gold that fades. It's not even the glory that will one day lie forgotten and moldering in the dust. You are the heirs of the grace of life. Your wealth is the unfading and unchanging glory of your heavenly Father. Your beauty is the beauty of a godly soul. So remember that this week. As you go out and cast your votes, and you need to go cast your vote, it is your civic duty. But remember as we watch those returns pour in Tuesday night, whoever wins, whoever's in power, no matter if the outcome to you is good or bad, it doesn't change the fact that we are still waiting for our king to return to us one day. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.